Good morning, everyone. Good morning, those who might be tuning in from home. You'll uh, find your seats. We'll prepare to get ready as we consider some doctrines of the church today. Before we begin with a word of prayer, I'd like to ask for your assistance with something. Um, It was brought to my attention for those who may be tuning in um, that they may not be able to hear and usually can't hear what your questions are. Right, so I'm going to ask you to help me as I try to train myself to repeat the question. If I begin to answer and I don't repeat the question or try to summarize it, um, put your hands up so that uh, some sort of visual signal to remind me of that. <laughs> well, there's always that, isn't there? Um, yeah. um, so uh, let us. Uh, and it, it did occur to me if if it would if it isn't too difficult if we have someone speaking for some time. Also, if the, the person, I think that's you, Sam, if it's, I don't know how well these mics would do, the ones we use for singing, if they do anything in terms of people being able to hear questions or comments. But um, I, I think the best option is certainly for me to try to rephrase or sum up. All right, let us uh, ask for the Lord's blessing here today. Our God and our Father, I thank you, Lord. Uh, for your great mercies upon us. We pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord Jesus, to uh, look to you to understand the people you have called us to be, Lord, your church, uh, united in worship, united in confession, and your holy warriors for dominion in the world. Uh, Please strengthen us, O Lord, uh, according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So beginning next week, we're going to start a little more um, organized uh, approach to this. We'll look at what uh, our confessions um, say about the church uh, and in consideration of that um, by way of um, our discussions that we've been having um, as uh, some introductory, maybe even a little bit of tuning for us to consider what uh, you know, how to understand and think through our confessions. And our confessions are good and helpful because, one, they help us to come together and say, yes, this is what we see the scriptures teaching us. Um, on the whole, after all, the Bible is a, bit, a big book. Um, it covers a lot of things. Uh, the confessions, of course, have scripture verses uh, in reference uh, to a variety of things. So we'll be looking at... Um, Things like uh, the Westminster Confession, uh, the Belgian Confession, uh, some of the others involved with the three forms of unity. And I, it's important, though, and, and I'll say this again next week, that we remember that every confession is, that was written um, is always written in a particular context. So there are going to be things in the way that they frame things and the discussions that they've had um, that are based about the historical context in which they're dealing with, the particularized problems that were raging in their day. Um, yes, Jonathan? Oh, 
just raging in their day, that plays a role. Um, and one of the things that we can understand, for example, with the Westminster Confession in these things, um, is that um, we know if you study the notes and the discussions that were taken, um, that um, you know we can have a statement in the confession, um, and at the same time, they were trying to be fairly broad. Have the the Scottish Presbyterians have the Congregationalists in. Um, have the Puritans a part of those discussions. Um, and of course, later on, about, I guess it was about 40 years later, Church of England, you know, turns on everybody. Uh, but, but in fact, the, the discussions of, uh, that, that they have are pretty broad, and they're trying to word it broadly. And one of the things that has tripped us up, I think, is we don't consider, again, we should never consider the confessions um, as par on scripture, but, but in terms of when we look at it, sometimes people can take some of the statements in the confession and say this is what it narrowly means when in fact um, it's, it's left a little bit open uh, purposely because they had a number of views represented by those there uh, when working through that confession. So I just say all that to say we'll, we'll take a more formalized view, but I have a few more things I want to do in terms of of uh, giving us a length with which to look and understand it. Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll, sure. Sure. Right. We'll probably be working um, primarily through the questions, the the as opposed to the whole confession, in part because I want us to one, one moment. I want us to, um, you know, we'll be focusing in on some particularized. Um, things in that area. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. So, our, uh, according to our Constitution, we're particularized to uh, the Westminster, um, which is a good and fine uh, uh, confession. And um, so, and and. So I also think the three forms of unity, which includes the Belgian Confession, is, is, is very good as well. I think some of the bristling, perhaps, of some towards the Westminster probably ties more to the fact that, I'm sorry, my um, watch here, it started dinging, and now I don't know how to turn it off, because I don't know how I turned it on. <laughs> so... Um, but uh, at, at any rate, the, the point being that, that there were some in the uh, early 2000s um, in the uh, reform world that were the only way to understand the scriptures alone is through the Westminster, a little bit of an idolization, so there was some what of a pushback on that. Um, uh, last week, we, we talked a little bit about a number of topics, uh, um, particularly relating to the centrality of the church. And I want to be clear about something um, that I certainly understand and we should certainly believe that God has ordained the family, the civil magistrate, and the church. Um, and, and yet at the same time, and everybody has, um, I hate to be so narrow, but to, but to say maybe lanes of responsibility, and they certainly can overlap, right? Um, and, and yet at the same time, the church functions both as the, 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 the mother to the, the people in the church, the congregation, 
Um, you know, the, the Scots called it Mother Kirk, right? Um, <clears throat> but, I, but I think that we also need to recognize and, and be certain on this point that the church has the responsibility to disciple families, to disciple uh, the civil magistrate, and also to, uh, with what's given to them as delegated authority, exercise authority, and even be prophetic in speaking uh, particularly, uh, certainly to the family, but also um, to the civil magistrate. So that might take on forms, obviously, um, the church, the elders, the teachings that we do here, that's speaking in, in, in uh, a way to you and discipling the, the people in this particularized congregation. But it also has an obligation um, to speak to the civil magistrate. Our faith is not something that is to simply be privatized and personalized, uh, which is a great deal of what the liberals have done. And I'm speaking of the liberals in the church. You see, the, I've, I've made this comment before, but but when the that that the what we're getting in the greater society has to, is a reflection of the church. So when the church abandons the authority of God's word, when the church abandons uh, discipline, when they when they begin to say, well, um, it's really just about your your personal, your inner life, your personal disciplines, a privatized religion and Christianity. And, and when the church begins to do that and teach that and not discipline, right, then, then the world itself um, moves farther in that direction as well. Uh, and so I, I want us to, to uh, be mindful of, of all these things. Last week we covered a number of, of verses, uh, but I think it's uh, important that we consider and remember that, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, um, that repentance uh, begins with God's people, right? That's the overall narrative of Scripture, and First uh, Peter sums that up for us in chapter four. Um, so, I, I thought just in in keeping with this, um, we we need to remember a couple of things here. Uh, one, when God calls out His people and He restores them, one of the things that He does is and we, we understand and we, we readily accept this. We say, okay, God calls his people out. He makes a covenant with them. And he establishes all this liturgy. And he says, okay, this is, this is here are the laws of God. Here are the prescribed ways that you're going to worship me. Here are the, the uh, things I'm placing around worship and in worship and to be part of your worship. And then he gives all this technical uh, description, um, and then he does a couple of interesting things in terms of organizing his people. Right, we we get to numbers, and we're like, oh great, how wonderful is this? We get to read these long genie, you know, these long groupings and numberings and countings, and 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 all of this. But God is doing something in particular besides uh, just what we we see when we're just in the weeds of the details. And he is laying out the people of God into a particular formation. And he's numbering and counting the people. Anybody know why he's numbering the people? Who's in, who's out? Okay. 
at what age were they supposed to start counting people? Anybody know? 20. 20. Okay. And, and this counting of, uh, at age 20 was designed um, for what purpose? What, what? Warfare. Right? So God establishes his covenant. He establishes all this liturgy. And then he begins to organize the people. And he's counting the people specifically for the purposes of warfare. Right? And, and in this, we need to recognize that um, God's warfare isn't simply the way we think it. Certainly there's going to be a time where they go in and, and, and God brings his judgment on the people of Canaan and there is a, a specialized, particularized um, judgment that's coming upon the people in the land of Canaan. And, and remember, a lot of times people approach this and they say, how could the, the, the God of the Old Testament, you know, they do that, that's not right talk, right? Uh, but they, they, they want to embrace all the merciful things that they see in Christ, but they don't understand or they simply look at, oh, it looks they went in there and they destroyed those people. But remember that, that uh, God himself um, said when he made the promises to Abraham, he said, this is going to be your land. The reason that, that you are not, um, you know, you're not going to do that yet is because, I'm not giving it to you yet, it's because I'm, you know, the sins of these peoples here, are not complete. Um, he's giving them an opportunity to repent before his judgment. Of course, we know, and we talked about this before, how the Lord provided priests in the land of Canaan, or Melchizedek, um, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law was a priest of Yahweh, and they were preaching um, the truths of God uh, to them, and they continued to become more and more evil and God brought his judgment. And so there was a particularized time. But there's an, another thing going on here is that warfare begins with worship. If we're going to have impact on the world out there, right, in the world around us, we have to do several things, right? We have to begin with worship. And God, of course, lays out what that worship looks like. And, and that is what helps inform us as to what we're doing in our worship service every Sunday. Okay, if, if you didn't know that, I'm, I'm just telling you that or reminding of it if you knew it already. But worship is warfare. We are, we are coming in, we're confessing our sins, we know we can't save ourselves. Um, we're trusting totally in God for his mercies as provided through the work of Jesus Christ. Right? And then... Uh, we, we come in and we send to his throne and we are glorifying God right what do you think is what do you think is more powerful in terms of of impact in our communities our confession of our sin corporately and going into the presence of God and glorifying him and then coming and praying right and taking our concerns to the Almighty because we're able to draw near to God because of his, the work of our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is that powerful? Yes. Is, it, is it more powerful than anything we can do in our own strength? 100%, right? I'm not discounting, of course, when we follow, we'll talk about this today in today's sermon, um, 
a, a, again, a multiplication of what it means to be salt and light by living according to God's standard that changes the world, right? But at, at the same time, we need to know that when we come in here and we worship and we take our petitions to God, it's, it, we, we, God has given us the privilege through Jesus Christ to draw near. And just as Jesus sits at the right hand of God and brings our petitions to the Lord, we are doing that, right? And, and we know God's word says that, that God has set Jesus at his right hand. He's enthroned him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And, and we know that there is, in, in the one uh, fact, Jesus is Lord of all. And yet because of his kindness, because of his mercies, he doesn't simply crush mankind, but he is working um, throughout uh, and through his people uh, to call all that are his into the kingdom. And, and in that, what, what's happening is, is he is placing all things under the, it's, it's already under the feet, Jesus is already Lord of all, but at the same time he has an active motion of how he's doing that with uh, his people. And so um, we, we need to understand that when we take these petitions to God, God is about uh, taking care of uh, his people and reaching and changing the world. Okay, and and it's hard for us sometimes to take what's happening here on Sunday morning and translate that into how that's affecting the world. But is God faithful? Yes. Is He faithful? Absolutely. And so we we know that as we take it to Him, we can trust in Him to be faithful, transform us, transform the world, and and and. I want us to understand that this really does begin with us understanding that we need to repent of our sins. We cling too easily to it. Um, you know, I, I want us um, to, I'm going to read uh, a quick quote from, from Doug Wilson. I mentioned that, um, that's a quick quote, hopefully so. Um, yeah, I mentioned that, that I had a particular article uh, written uh, from the Kyperian Commentary by Rich Lust that was kind of the basis of uh, last week and, and part of this week. I only had one person ask me for it. That's okay, but if you're interested, um, you can take a look at it. And I did think in terms of everything, you know, there's there are certain contexts going on. At, at the time of both uh, the posting of this article um, and also he, he, he mentions in the article, and this is why it's in here, that Doug Wilson that week uh, posted this. You know, there was the the, the big uh, book come out by Stephen Wolf, right, and talking about uh, how to view the world and taking dominion and all of this. And so um, these things were in everybody's mind, and that does pr provide some some context. But um, he says this. This is this is Doug. Okay, if we want unbelievers to repent of their sin. The believers should do is show them how judgment should begin with the household of God first Peter 4 and then we see how can we expect them to let go of their sins when we refuse to let go of ours and more to the pin, to pinch the point evangelicals need to learn how to repent of things 
that we are that we have serenely assumed to be our virtues sometimes we think what we have done and what we are these are our good things and we need to recognize um, that they are not the virtues that we think they are we must repent of our uh, etoilated gospel centeredness now I got to tell you I had to look up that word and I actually felt good because I recently listened to a podcast where um, Dr. White, anybody know who he is? Okay, where he said he appreciates reading Doug's blog because he, it causes him to have to go look up words. And I figure if, if a church apologist who has a doctorate has to look up words, it makes me feel better. But essentially what that means is uh, E-T-I-O-L-A-T-E-D. And basically it means to alter, to bleach, to change, to, to uh, so basically we're saying um, we must repent of our altered and changed, kind of bleached out gospel-centeredness. Now that, that sounds a little weird, but, but bear with me. We need to repent of calling ourselves Jesus followers instead of Christians. We need to repent of Instagramming our devotional times. We have to repent of Jesus is our girlfriend worship songs. We must repent of all our Jesus junk stores. We have to repent of our R2K schizophrenia. We need to repent of the anemic condition of our deracinated seminaries, uh, dead, rotten, etc. seminaries. We need to repent of still caring what Christianity today prints. We must repent of caring more about our own reputations and turf concerns than we do about the condition of the kingdom at large. We sin like Hezekiah did. Peace and safety in my time. Whew, I got it all taken care of because God's judgment isn't coming to me right now. Whew, we'll let that fall on those later generations. Okay? We must repent of all our inverse John the Baptist moves. They might decrease so that I might increase. <laughs> we must repent of caring more about not being publicly associated with worldview thinkers who make us feel extreme than we care about actually understanding the truth as the world, as the word reveals it. His basic point is this, that the world won't change till the church changes. The church leads the way. So in, in both us instructing and teaching the civil magistrate, right, in the ways of the word and what God says his responsibilities are, and the family in that way, of course, as well, we also need to, as the people of God, repent and change our ways and that in fact will change families that in fact will change the civil magistrate that in fact will change the world and and, and of course it's important that that we need to make to understand that that is to say that this is all that we do should we be involved in a walk for life a march for life absolutely if you can be right should we serve at our Prices Pregnancy Center? Yes. Should we pray for it? Yes. Right? Should we care about who we vote for? And should we have 
an effort to see that godly, biblically informed people serve. Absolutely. Maybe someone in this room should serve. Right? Um, obviously, uh, we, we talked about being Kyperian in our thought, all of Christ for all of life, right? Not one square inch that Christ does not reign over, right? He says all those things, and Kuiper, of course, went on to, to, to live a pretty vibrant political career in the Netherlands, right? He was even prime minister. Did a lot of things, both for church and government. Right? So we can do those things as individuals. Um, I know Calvin was somewhat against pastors serving in the political, um, in the political realm, like as a, as a mayor, um, as it would have been more, as the power structure would have been. Um, and obviously Kuiper is a little different than that because here you have a pastor serving in political ways. But I think it's also... Um, you got to look at the circumstances. i got to tell you what, my hands are absolutely full trying to pastor you guys, reach the lost, disciple everybody, try to get in your lives as much as I can. And, and the idea of adding uh, a full-time job as a politician, um, I have no interest. Um, I, I, my bandwidth is used up. But I, but I want us to understand that we still have responsibilities. But But, you know, at the same time, all of us, we can't, um, we can't fulfill every role, but you know what we can do, right? We can recognize the fact that if we're obedient to God's word, if we repent of our sin, if we implement God's instruction in our daily lives, right? Using the patterns that we see in our worship service, right? Repentance, glorifying God's, hearing his word, submitting ourselves to it being at peace with all men as far as it depends on us, which means we are the ones seeking for repentance and restoration of relationships. We are the ones driving that in our marriages, with our children, with our co-workers, that whole reality, right? We become salt and light to the world, okay? We begin to transform it. Um, we need to make sure that, that we resist... <clears throat> the idea that there are simply two lanes, the spiritual and the physical world or your religious life and everything else, right? It, 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 that's not God built the world. He built the, the earth as a temple for his people to worship him. God gave us all these good gifts in creation, and in that, we need to recognize um, that uh, there, there is no division in that way. If we think society, if we think of society in a Kyperian sphere sovereignty way, and, and you can get into that a little bit. I was, I was reading uh, uh, some of Kuiper's uh, stone lectures, um, and uh, that's lectures he gave at Princeton. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't heat. It was on points of Calvin, and unfortunately, um, they didn't respond and receive it the way they ought, because it's not very much longer, another 10 years or so, and they uh, begin to turn hard away from God's word. But he speaks of there being all types of spheres, I call it, um, and I often described it as our realm of responsibility, right, and what God's word has to inform us in that, 
Um, but, but in all of that, we need to recognize that God is using his church um, as, as the means of grace, right? There are the, that we have our sacraments, baptism, the Lord's table, um, and his word that is transforming us and molding us to be more like Jesus Christ every day so that we can uh, change the world in all of these different spheres. And, of course, I think it's important to note I am in no way looking for or suggesting that um, the ultimate uh, authority ought to be the church uh, running the world um, with uh, bishops and kings and popes, right? In other words, in the church, that's not what we're talking about at all. Um, I, I think that we need to, to bear that in mind. Um, but I, I want us to understand that uh, this right here, that Christ rules over all the spheres, but the church has a kind of centrality among the spheres because the church is responsible to teach the word of God. It is responsible to provide basic discipleship of the spheres. That being said, some people who talk about the centrality of the church, right, go too far and make claims that go beyond what is warranted. The other spheres matter too, and they have unique roles to play. The church must not usurp them or swallow them up. Worship and prayer is never to be treated as a substitute for the other forms of action and dominion taking in the world, but rather their foundation. Okay? Um, I've seen it in ways where people say, okay, well, I worship, and then that's all I have to do in terms of seeing the world change. I show up on Sunday. I participate in the liturgy. I do those things. No, that's not enough. Um, and so we want to make sure that we understand that the church doesn't rule the other spheres. But it does connect all the other spheres to the church in some way. Every sphere is not only bound by God's natural revelation, but also by his special revelation. So that's, I think, a little jab at understanding that um, there's both natural law as God provides through his created order, but also that he's certainly given us his special revelation um, to clarify and see natural law more clearly. Um, you know, just swinging back to... Uh, worship is warfare here just oh, I took it off didn't I <laughs> just briefly I just want to mention the importance of the Psalms in our worship in our daily lives in the worship that you do um, with your family and it actually came up uh, this week in chapter uh, 3 of uh, Life Together where he was talking about the Psalms and, and seeing that um, there are certainly psalms that uh, we sing and that we recognize that we're not in a place to sing them. But in fact, you can see Jesus singing these psalms, right? Jesus' prayers to God, his glorifying of God, asking um, for uh, justice, asking for vengeance. Um, and, and we think that vengeance is merely an act of wrath, um, I would point out that I think the scriptures also demonstrate that when God brings justice um, and he, he measures his wrath and he provides redemption uh, in that as well. Yes, sir. I, I think one of the best uh, 
Okay, I'm I'm gonna because this is getting long. Sorry. Uh, right. No, no, please. Yeah, uh, NT Wright is uh, really out to lunch on a lot of I think important biblical issues. He undercuts the Bible's authority in a number of ways, but he's had a lot to say that is really, really, really helpful, good insights about the Bible, and he attributes all of his best insights to the fact that growing up, the church he was in, they sang through the Psalms, uh, all 150 of them, uh, all the time, and his uh, knowledge of what would have been going through Jesus's head and Paul's head when they encountered various trials all came from the fact that they sang through the Psalms, and uh, if, if a guy is kind of, you know, out there as him can still still find a nut once, uh, you know, I, I think it's because of the Psalms. I think he's right. So, yeah. If him, how much more us? You know, so. Absolutely. It, um, in, in his, uh, he's got a whole article, um, you know, Jim Jordan, I don't know if you've ever seen some of these memes of his face um, where he is, it looks like he's just yelling and his, I've seen one recently where his eyes look like they're on fire and there's fire coming out of his mouth and um, that might be a little overdone. Uh, I know the original picture that that comes from. He was shoveling hot coals. Okay, but in in his in his article called uh, "Worship is Warfare," I mean, he hammers singing the Psalms, right? And he goes so far as to say, um, it, metrical Psalms are okay, but that's not really the Psalms. We need to recognize that. You know, they've some in some cases they've interpreted it for us, or softened it in places, or condensed it to fit the music. And this is where he gets very adamant about um, chanting the psalms or singing them literally. And I know there's even some artists out there that are working on on putting a lot of that together. But but the point, um, I'll, I'll get you in just a second, David. Uh, the point that he's making is um, the the power of the psalms. And you see so many of the Psalms asking for justice, calling out to God, uh, also for uh, vengeance and, and the, the turning of the wicked. Um, and so we need to see the Psalms as powerful. And I've, I've said this uh, in our Sunday school on the Psalms. Have you ever read something in the Psalms that made you uncomfortable? You weren't sure about? Make sure we got it right. Make sure you understand it right. But then when you realize that it's making you uncomfortable, don't change, don't change the psalm. Change yourself. Submit yourself to the authority of God's word. David, I'm going to move back to you. Hold on. I'm going to bring the mic. So, so Nate says we are singing Psalm 137, so prepare yourself. Go ahead, David. I was just going to say that Theophilus uh, has the psalms on Spotify chanting and other places as well and they're really good and it's you can learn them and listen and read the lyrics and all that as well on youtube as well Well, very good so a little plug for theopolis's uh uh, chanting of the psalms and and i'm not i'm not saying today man we're going to turn around and start doing that but it isn't a terrible thing to consider or to certainly do in your personal life um there are there are some uh good chance out there and I will just to be fair on this point um, the church I came from my sending out church church of the redeemer they do chant the psalms um, now they also sing the psalms and sing hymns alone but but Jordan goes if 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 we're neglecting singing the psalms the other you know that's God's hymn book right and there are a few other hymns throughout the scriptures but if we're not singing God's word 
um, these other things that we're doing, um, you know, maybe we ought to pause that a little bit and sing God's word first. And, and I just, I'd only bring that up to say, let us keep the Psalms preeminent. It is God's hymn book. It is praying God's words. It's praying the prayers of Jesus uh, in this way. All right, so again, next week, um, I will do the absolute best that I can. I'm going to be fair um, to you and say, um, I'll, I'll um, get you in second, Nate, that I'm, my attempt will be that by close of business Thursday, I will give you um, what we're, uh, the, the particularized um, things we'll be looking at um, out of the confessions. All right, okay, hold on, Nate. that's impactful for our kids and just recently started adding the psalms to that so if you have a verse from the psalms that is applicable to whatever you're educating your kids on just look through the through the uh, hymnal and see if you can find it i know for my kids that sticks better than just writing it out it's just that little short verse of being set to music to live at peace with one another or psalm 133 Um, so just an idea Oh, that's good. I, I will tell you that that was a uh, form of discipline in my growing up years, and I think that I wrote the book of Proverbs about 25 times growing up. <laughs> no, it didn't make me hate it. Um, it I, I would say that the Lord softened my heart. I, I'll, I'll tell you, God was just so gracious to me, allowing. Uh, I'm not saying that I never rebuffed discipline. Of course I did, but in the fact of I knew by the, by, by the way the Spirit was working in my life that I needed to submit myself to Scripture, and I knew that, that I was getting an understanding of God's promises and His instruction by writing it out as much as my hand would cramp up and it would be painful in that way. That's right. So Nate just said, if you're too young to write it out, you're not too young to sing it so that's that's great if you can't find a quick thing you know reach out to nate or somebody else um or or sing it with your kids and teach them and sing it on a little recording and play it for them so that they can sing with it all right very good we're going to close out and i thank you um, for your time and let us let's be so mindful okay that that who we are as the people of god we've been mustered by god to worship him And this does transform the world, not by our work, but by the work of the Spirit in the world and through his people, the church. Let us pray. Our God, we give you praise. We thank you for this day. I pray, O Lord, that we would turn our hearts to you, that we would be faithful to your word, that here today that you would uh, prepare us, O Lord, to confess our sins, Lord, to be drawn near to you, to bring our petitions to you, to be transformed by your word, uh, and Lord, to come to your table of peace so that we may go out and be salt and light to the world, causing others to glorify you through our good works. Please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises with us. In Jesus' name.